Uh, suffering is the context, and we've been mentioning that. We're going to come back to that and explore that in greater detail eventually. Um, so, uh, so, uh, separation, we've talked about uh, previously. We began with a three-part mini-series on separation, holiness, and now we've arrived at perhaps the most surprising theme of all, submission. And it's surprising that this is a theme in First and Second Peter in the context of suffering. And as I studied this, it's surprising that this is a theme throughout the Bible. It's fundamental. It's foundational. Say so maybe at least half of First and Second Peter directly relates to submission. Maybe all of it, at least indirectly. And so then the theme, if we zoom out, the remote and total context of the Bible and the teaching on submission, we're going to bring in some of that in particular, what Paul wrote about submission to various congregations, to Timothy and Titus. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, we've explored the first half of chapter 2, and I believe it pivots in verse 11 and 12, Therefore, submit yourselves. And the first word is a therefore, which means it's there for a reason. You need to look before. And so the verses leading into this, we've previously discussed, because you're in exile, title, theme verse, verse 11, because you're in exile that needs to live honorably and godly in a way that others see your good works, glorify God on the day of their visitation, said previously, I believe that's their conversion. Because you're in exile, you need to live in a way that's godly, that others see those godly good works and become Christians. That's the context for all of his teaching on submission. All the realms of submission that we're going to be exploring in our next couple of studies. And so beginning in verse 13, Peter gets specific on how we abstain from fleshly lust and exhibit excellent behavior before others. Submission is the first manifestation of honorable, same word means godly, beautiful, attractive, proper behavior. And he gives one word to summarize our response, our responsibility, our interaction to every human institution. And that word is submit. We find it 40 times because God knows we wouldn't like it. It's a reflexive command. Submit yourselves. And that means that the subject of the sentence is also the object of the verb. What that means is the authority should not be having to subordinate ourselves. As Christians, subordinate us. As Christians, we are to place ourselves under willingly. Subordinate yourselves. Submit yourselves. That's the what? The where? Every human institution. And that's the problem. Our defining spirit, our culture, our history is the opposite of submission. <laughs> we live in the land of come and take it. You say, you don't understand, you're from Oklahoma. I'm from the land of Bubba. We do it just as big as you do. Trust me. I get it. But if I'm going to conduct myself as an exile in an excellent way, I must constantly ask, am I more American more Texan, Oklahoman, Republican, or am I more Christian? Too many Christians are trying to be Chuck Norris or Batman instead of Jesus Christ. What if we don't like it? What if we don't trust the government? What if the government's corrupt? I mean, my goodness. That's the king they were to submit to. That Peter's talking about. Honor the king. Submit to the king. That's the government. 
Same one Paul writes about in Romans 13 and these various scriptures we're going to consider this morning. You think they like and trusted that guy? That's Caesar Nero. I would encourage you to go study what he did to Christians. There was a rumor that he started a fire in Rome, and so he needed to squash that rumor, so he needed to scapegoat. Guess who he picked? A new group that everybody hated, known as the Christians. He would dress them in animal skins to be devoured by dogs. He would light them as human torches to light his garden parties. And yet we compare our perceived persecution for getting a fine for not wearing our seatbelt to that. And it needs to stop. And if they were going to, if they were to submit in the worst of circumstances, Peter goes on to talk about slavery, a quarter of the Roman Empire at that time were slaves. If they were to submit in the worst of circumstances, what about us? What's our excuse? You see, exile does not mean being anarchy with human institutions. That's the tension in this text. And the paradox is you live and you win as an exiled Christian, citizen, employee, spouse by submitting, by serving. So we talked about the what, we talked about the where, if we continue these questions, why? The Bible gives us good reasons, good motivations on why we should submit. This morning we're talking about outside the home to our government and to our employer. And the first reason given, the ultimate reason for everything, for, that means because. When you see the word for, that's a why indicator. A reason's going to follow. For the Lord's sake, and that ought to be reason enough. As bondservants of God, Paul writes to Timothy and Titus, Servants, obey your masters. We think, thankfully, today in an employee-employer relationship, so that, those are why indicators, so that the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not talking back, not being argumentative, not pilfering, not embezzling, but showing all good fidelity that they may adore the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. If you have children, you're honored. And you're proud when your children obey, aren't you? And they submit. You're the opposite of that. You're not well pleased. You're dishonored. You're embarrassed when they don't do that. And you really appreciate it when they put on the loudest and best show in public, don't you? What about God? I submit to you he's dishonored. He's blasphemed. May I say he may be embarrassed by the way we act in public and in private. For... This is the will of God, that's why. And if we don't do the will of God, that's the very definition of sin. I hope we understand and have fully appreciated that when we resist authorities that God has ordained, we are committing sin. That's never a small thing. So the Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Doing good, not resisting authority, not being belligerent, doing good is how God has willed that we silence, word means muzzle, the ignorance of foolish men. There's a lot of foolishness I'd love to silence. I'd love, I've, this, a lot of restraint in not commenting on Facebook and not saying anything. And there's foolishness that, that outside the church, that slandering the church, that gets me upset. There's some foolishness, maybe our own, that needs to be silenced inside the church where the attitudes and actions of Christians are slandering the church. And God is willing that I silence that by doing good. And if we aren't doing good, what they're saying about us is not slander, it's truth. Do it for the Lord's sake. Do it for others' sake. We talk about these verses. That they may glorify God and have a conversion. That's why we do it. 
Do it for the sake of the church. Love the brotherhood. All too often we make it about us when we should be making it about the church. Do it for love's sake. We're going to go to Romans 13 in a moment, leading into these verses, talking about submitting to the government. Oh no, in anything, pay the taxes, except the law. You'll never pay that debt back. The law is summarized and fulfilled in these commands. Love. Love God with all your being, love your neighbors. And what does love do? Love does not harm its neighbor. And it occurs to me we wouldn't need laws and mandates and courts and judges and police and military if we would all commit to those two laws. Paul told Timothy, the law is for the lawless and insubordinate. The multitudes of laws and mandates in the Bible and in our society are a testimony and a monument to our lawless and insubordinate spirit. Remind them, over and over, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. That's pretty convicting. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy, also translated humility, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Why? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. Peter talks about those same things in the first part of chapter 2. Chapter 1, because you're born again, you put off those things. Hated by other than one another. Notice the past tense word, were. If you are a Christian, those attitudes and actions must be past tense. If we're born again. Ready for every good work means I'm cooperating in those matters that affect my community by doing good. So do it for the Lord's sake. Do it for others' sake. And then finally, I'm third. Do it even for your sake. There are good personal reasons for submitting. Four, the praise of those who do good. That should be us. It's the ideal purpose of government, to punish evildoers, to praise those who do good. When you take it patiently as an employee, for the Lord's sake, this is, why indicator, this is commendable before God. Peter says that he is sent by Him, in a sense, a gift from God. Paul said he is a minister of God. How in the world can you say that? Jesus was crucified by this government. Peter and Paul are being executed by this very government because anarchy and mob rule and the depravity of unrestrained people are horrible things. My experience, what I've seen, I would rather live in the wild with animals than in a human society without law and order. There's a blessing in deterrence. A minister who deters drunk driving and murder and selfish behavior that infringes upon the rights and safety of other people. So the next time you're pulled over, tell the police officer, tell the highway patrol, thank you for being God's minister. I've never thought like that. And I've been pulled over before, to my shame. Just a handful of times, uh, a couple of times, I had Indians from, uh, Christians from India with me. I mean, that's embarrassing. And if you say that, you might get a sobriety test. They might think you're the one drinking and driving. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. That's the who. Where? Every human institution. Who? Every soul. That word every is a big word. Who's exempted? Which one of us is exempted because we're Christians? Why? For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. All authority is derivative. Jesus told Pilate that in John 19. Therefore, the conclusion is, whoever resists the authority, resists those authorities, resists the ordinance of God. 
Because I don't want to be in opposition to God because God is undefeated still. And I don't want to be found kicking against the pricks. That's why I submit. Resist, resist, resist. Notice that word over and over. The root word is the same word as the word for submit we talked about earlier. It just means anti-submit. Notice they didn't say rebel. You know, it's not just that I didn't go to the, and participate in the D.C. Capitol riots. We're called to a higher standard as Christians. Don't resist authorities ordained by God. Don't resist God. That's an antonym of submission. Those who resist bring judgment on themselves. Seems like a pretty good reason to submit. The authorities can't send you to hell, but your response to them sure can. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. Because I don't want to live in fear. That's why I submit. Fear of going to jail. Fear of going to hell. Full disclosure. One of the things I'm afraid of is getting pulled over on the way to church. Specifically, right out there in the parking lot or in front of the church. And I don't have to have a panic attack when I see the highway patrol or police officer if you're coming from Canyon. You know what I'm talking about? By the bridge. I don't have to have a panic attack. I don't have to give my family whiplash if I'm being more diligent to submit to the law. And we pray for a safe trip that seems somewhat futile if we're going to not submit to the authorities in doing that. He is an avenger. He is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on human practice evil. The blessing of the fact that he's this, so I don't have to be. Romans 12, that's the context. Think of this. You overcome evil with good. You give it to God. You live peacefully with all men. And he's an avenger of vengeance, so I don't have to be, because I don't need vengeance in my life. You subordinate even if no one else will. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for, here's the reason, conscience sake. Any citizen, including atheists, can submit because they don't want to go to jail. Christians do it better. We have a higher motivation. We are intrinsically motivated. We, we, we submit and obey because of the heart. We do submission better than everyone else, don't we? We're known for that, aren't we? Early Christians, you go study their apologies. That's a defense, not saying sorry, but a defense of Christianity. And they would write to the emperor, to Caesar, and say, we are not a threat. We are not your enemy. In fact, our God commands us to pray for you and submit to you. We're the best citizens of all because of our morality, because we're, we do the right thing when no one's looking. We're serving you through our prayers, to converting people to be like us, to make the empire better. We're not your enemy. We're the best. And we don't need police and judges, and jails, and fines, and mandates to motivate us to do the right thing. External restraints are only necessary for those who have rejected the internal restraint of God, our conscience. And many sear that conscience to it has no effect till we justify and excuse what we should feel and know is not Christian. So do it as an employee, if your employer, Ephesians 6, do it because you'll receive the reward. Do it for the Lord's sake, do it for others' sake, do it for your sake. That's the why, how. The battle plan, the blueprint is given, interestingly enough, by the one who cut off someone's ear with a sword. And I would argue he missed. You ever, I mean, think about how small a target that is. I think he was aiming for the head and got the ear. Thank goodness he was a fisherman and not a soldier. Any Texan red-blooded American should love and welcome and be excited for a battle plan given by that guy. We're seeking our Boston Tea Party moment, aren't we? We're going to rise up. 
Not the resurrection of the just and the righteous. If we keep thinking and talking and acting like that, if we keep trying to be Clint Eastwood Christians, you know, we feel lucky. Make my day. Do it and see what happens. Come and take it. So we can do what? Shoot somebody? And are we disappointed and rebuked and surprised like Peter to be told, put it up. We'll live by the sword, we'll die by the sword. My sword is sharper than a two-edged sword. Can you fight with this? Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So how in the world are we to do this? I think one of the keys are given in verse 16, one of the most convicting, powerful verses in this whole text. As is a how word, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice or as a covering for evil, but as bondservants of God. What do we do with our freedom? We take it and we go back into subjection. That's what you do with freedom. And often we justify our selfish vice by blurring the line between liberty and license. Paul had a lot to say about that. Christian freedom, not the way the world defines freedom, not the way many in the church are currently defining freedom. Christian freedom is liberation to do as you should, not as you like. Use whatever freedom you have for the progress of the gospel for the glory of God, for the benefit of the church and others, not for selfish ambition. That's what Jesus did. That's what Peter did. That's what Paul did. Forfeited his rights to be married, to be financially supported at times. Will talked about the conversion of the Philippian jailer Wednesday night, and it occurred to me, what are they doing? What are Paul and Silas doing? They're submitting to the government, aren't they? They're in, the, they're in prison. Not looking for opportunity to take the sword and fight their way out and drop kick someone to the face. And How are they submitting? With heart. Praying and singing. And what happened? A miracle happened. And how did they interpret that miracle? I'm free. Time to go. Time to do me. They took that freedom and they stayed. They submitted and a greater miracle happened. Conversion. That's exactly what we're talking about. Liberties were not exercised at the expense of others, but employed in the ministry of others. Very few use their freedoms that way. But to whom much is given, much is required. How are we using ours? Freedom empowering ministry. How Jesus used his freedoms? He paid his taxes, didn't he? This was a supercharged political situation. Do we pay our taxes? Pharisees hated Roman occupation. They were subversive. Herodians by name, you know who they side with. Herod, a puppet of the Roman government. So seemingly, no matter how he answers and responds, somebody's going to be mad. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, to God the things that are God's. Jason talked about that recently. Referring to that for more depth. But notice the Pharisees seem to think you can't submit to multiple level, levels of authority. That's how we think. Well, we ought to obey God rather than men. We can't do both. And we don't try very hard to see how can I submit to the authorities God has ordained while submitting to God. Jesus says once you've surrendered everything to God, you can submit to human institutions without committing treason against heaven. And that turns our obedience to human institutions and authorities to law-abiding worship of God. Freedom is not the opposite of submission. It's his point. Submission is not just for those who can't avoid it, for slaves. Being free, whether that's religiously in Christ or civilly, he talks about slaves later, we're free civilly or religiously does not exempt us from submitting to human institutions. Submissive bond service should be our heart, our attitude, our spirit, our posture, even when we're free. And we're to do that with honor. Honor 
king. We talked about which king that was. As employees, not only the good and gentle masters, but also the harsh. Who does that exempt us from honoring? God requires this regardless of how they're performing, if you like it, if you voted for them, whether they're good and gentle or harsh. The command to submit with honor is not contingent upon performance. And honor is a foundational, fundamental part of Christian, not worldly, Christian. The world maybe submits without honor, without respect. Christians do it with honor and respect. Jesus said you can't just obey, it's about the heart. What about when your children obey with a defiant attitude? Some sign or action that I'm not fully submitted to this, I'm not going quietly. I remember getting commanded to go to my room and a few times slamming the door. <laughs> I got recalibrated. That's obedience without honor. That's passive-aggressive submission. You think God's pleased by Pat? We can quietly be subversive and like things on Facebook and do things in the background to stir people up. You need the right attitude if you're going to keep producing the right actions. So be very careful about how you think and talk about authority. And I would beg us to spend more time studying 2 Peter 2, one of the most neglected chapters in the book of Jude, laying side by side because they're so similar. You'll see similar words. It's my conviction that Peter wrote first. He speaks in the future tense. Chapter 1 we studied, we studied previously about the process of inspiration. Holy men of God spake as they are moved by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, but there will be false teachers among you, just like there were false prophets in the past. And he goes on to describe the characteristics and trademarks of false teachers we're going to talk about here in a moment. And then in chapter 3, there'll be scoffers, future kids, there will be scoffers walking according to their own lust. Jude says, I was going to write to you about our common salvation, but I had a change of plans. Now I'm writing for you to earnestly contend for the faith because they've come in among you. In verses 17 and 18, he says, Remember the apostles' warnings that there will be scoffers walking toward the same exact thing, I believe, referring to the writing of the apostle Peter. But notice they talk about these false teachers who despise authority and speak evil authorities. Jude points out, you know the archangel Michael, Captain Angel, did not presume, did not dare to pronounce a blasphemous judgment against who? The devil. Would we presume, would we dare to pronounce a blasphemous judgment upon people who are less evil than the devil? They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. The implication is we should be. Here's the characteristics and trademarks of false teachers. They walk according to their own lust. That's their agenda. And so because of that, they despise and reject authority because that interferes and restrains. They don't like to be told no. And the ultimate outcome of that is they speak evil of dignitaries. They blaspheme. And they justify that by claiming superior knowledge. They're right. They're better. And God, by inspiration, says, no, you're an irrational, dumb animal that doesn't have a clue what you're talking about. A trademark of false teachers is they arrogantly speak about things they're ignorant of. They are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. What about us? Why are they like that? Why do we like that? You know, I've looked back at times I've dug in. You know what I think? What's wrong with you? And I look around sometimes in my kids, and in my family, in my Christian family, and think, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with us? You know what's wrong with us when we despise and reject authority and we're speaking evil about our authorities? You know what's wrong with us? Pride and selfishness. That's the root every time. They're presumptuous and they're self-willed. And I think maybe right now we're, we're sometimes presumptive. And next thing you know, right, that's how we get around submitting. 
Well, might not be wrong now, but the next thing you know, what's your child submitted to your authority like that? Go to your room. I'm not doing that. Because the next thing you know, you'll keep me in there so long after forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is, Hebrews 10.25. You can get around every authority in all submission if you thought like that. Well, the next thing you know, the next thing you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. The angels did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. That's exactly what we're talking about. Insubordination. And insubordination is mutiny ends a disaster. Notice the judgment words. Rebellious men share the same destiny as the devil and obstinate angels. And the reality is the people closest to God, claiming to be closest to God, angels, Christians, can be farthest from Him in their heart, in their words, their posts, their attitudes, and actions. So he gives examples. You're not going to escape. The devil and his angels didn't escape. The false teachers aren't going to escape. You're not either. Sodom and Gomorrah, moral rebellion. The walking in the way of Cain. Notice Cain's attitude towards God and the way he treated authority and treated others as a result. The way you treat others and the way you respond to authority is a reflection of your faith, hope, love, and fear of God or lack thereof. Notice how he responded to God. Where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cool, callous disregard for the life and well-being of others. That's the way of Cain. To defy authority, to hurt others in the process, and then to deny any wrongdoing. They've perished in Korah's rebellion. You can read about that in the book of Numbers. I believe they were twisting, Korah was twisting Exodus 19.6. We're a priesthood. We're a kingdom of priests. Who are you, Moses? And how often do we twist the Scriptures to avoid the clear import in full important teaching of these texts. And when people are talking and acting in rebellion, my admonition will be to run in the opposite direction as far as you can before you get caught up in it, before you get swallowed up in, with it with Cora and his family. My grandma tells a story, they were in a certain city, you can guess where. And my grandpa was walking super fast in a certain area. She goes, Travis, what? Where are you, why are you walking so fast? And he said, because I don't want to be here when the Lord comes back. That's the concept. I don't want to be here. So, Balaam's there. My children love this story. Right? They giggle every time. We talk about what's, what's the principles. Well, that we need a donkey, ironically, to tell us how dumb and stubborn we're acting. Right? They have nothing good to offer. Clouds without rain. Fruitless trees. They get an audience because they're loud and proud. But when you ask them, what are you saying? What are you proposing? You challenge them to say, all you hear is falling. Sounds like freedom. Promise liberty to deliver. They misdefined it. They redefined it we talked about earlier. And they, deliver, they are slaves to their own heart, their own mind, their own lust. And they've made it harder for others to be Christians. Those who have barely escaped. Goes on to talk about the dog and the pig. Those Christians who fall back. They make it hard for others. They make where people maybe lose their salvation because of their attitude, which is contagious. What about us? Are we putting a stumbling block before others? Work with a guy who has cancer and he was flying back and their plane wasn't taking off. And he asked the stewardess, why are we taking off? Well, apparently somebody was refusing to comply with the policy of that airline. And so many lives were affected. Missed their connecting flights. This family, I think, was barred from flying. Great job. Figure out how to get home. 
As he's talking with the stewardess, this man walks by with a wife and little children. That's the problem. Where? I hope that they were embarrassed enough to take a different path. Kids these days have no respect for authority, right? And we throw stones at people we see on TV not submitting to authority. Are we any different? I wonder where they learned it. Our supper table, in our living room. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Belligerence, arrogance, selfishness, conspiracy, cynicism, thinking everyone's out to get you and kill you, it's evil surmising, paranoia is not helping you submit, not helping others submit, your children, your brethren, your neighbors, your co it's tempting resistance. And it needs to stop. And we need to start doing this. Not just praying for all men, for all kings and all who are in authority, but how do we pray? Fervently, supplications, intercessions, giving thanks. And it changes you. It's hard to curse your president when you're praying for him. Your speaker of the house when you're praying for him. I just went there. What if the next time one of us is slandering our authorities, our government, our spouse? That's the easiest target, right? Your husband. What if we stopped it and said, you know, let's pray about this? What if we stopped each other as brothers and sisters and said, you know, let's pray? We don't want to be like, we don't want to be false teachers. We want to be like Michael the Archangel. There's no evil speaking if there's no evil listening, if there's not an audience. And I need to do better about that myself. Mindful of God. Be mindful of God. Ephesians 6, the way you work. Colossians 3, as how to Christ, as bondservants of Christ, fearing God, as to the Lord. Take God, take Jesus to work with you. Transform the way you work, the way you live. In singleness of heart, not with eye service as men please, not, not doing it because the boss is looking, following policy if the boss is looking, not running faster when the car drives by. That's the concept. You know how I avoid that? I don't run, especially in public. We don't need radar detectors to tell us when to obey the law, do we? Christians don't. And yet I hear my we got an email at work because apparently some of my coworkers weren't following policy, and so they were having to, they said honor and freedom go hand in hand. We were living on the honor system, but apparently people weren't abiding by the honor system, so they were stationing managers and supervisors at entrances to ensure that people were following doing what they were supposed to do because somebody was watching. Apparently, there are some who work at a place where you forfeit so many rights. I don't care the I don't care how much they know I go to bombs each week. I'm not is not that interesting. They can watch. I have nothing to hide. But we work in a place like that, and apparently there are people who you can't go anywhere you want. You can't tackle a nuclear weapon, but yet they're not taking my temperature. What a story to tell our kids and our grandkids. I threw away a great job and your inheritance, but they did not get my temperature. It's amazing the hills we choose to die on. Doing good. Change your reflex. This, and that's the previous verses, submitting quietly, innocently. That's what you're called to in the example of Jesus. What kind of reflex did Jesus have? The question we need to be asking that we haven't been asking, what would Jesus do? Jesus would not revile. He wouldn't threaten. He didn't open his mouth. Secular submission never goes quietly. Christian submission is distinguished by its quietness. That you may live a quiet and peaceful life. Notice the emphasis Peter places on silence. In submitting to government, our employer, our spouse, what would Jesus do? Jesus would humbly, quietly submit and serve because that's exactly what he did. And he's trying to change our reflex. The natural reflex is to fight back, to get louder and prouder and more belligerent, to subordinate others, put them in their place. And I see that all over social media. 
That's a natural response of an unregenerated person who has not been born again in the kingdom. Sir them out. Not kingdom living. Jesus is trying to change our reflex, not just to not resist, not just to submit, but to go the extra mile with heart. And if we're honest, that's our problem. Let's quit comparing ourselves and our plight to Nazi Germany and all the things we talk about. That's not the problem. The problem is we're being inconvenienced. We're being asked to do things we don't agree with, we don't like. But Christian citizens and employees go above and beyond because that's what we're called to do. To go the extra mile of heart. I just want to point out, you have to go the first mile to get to the second. Humble yourselves. Submit yourselves. Reflexive commands. Trying to change our reflex. It's a matter of the heart. It's always a matter of the heart, Jesus says. The attitude determines the altitude. Why does God hate and oppose my pride? It invites the opposition of God in my life because when I'm proud, I lift myself up. God doesn't exalt me. I exalt myself against, beside, above. We will not go under when we're proud and selfish. When we think we're a subject matter expert on all subjects because we can read and we have the internet. And if we're struggling with that, sometimes she just says the answer is not moderation. Sometimes it's abstinence. <laughs> Cut off the hand. Pluck out the eye. If you're struggling with that, maybe you need to get off the internet for a while. Maybe you need to get off the dark web. Maybe you get off social media. Maybe you need to quit being manipulated by memes. Never thought I would live in an age where people won't believe anything unless it's a meme. And then we believe it hook, line, and sinker. Maybe we need to turn off Fox News and start desiring the milk of God's Word, 1 Peter 2. Like a baby desires milk. If we'll focus on that, make our fight about that, consume that, enjoying God and hating our pride. Pride and rebellion are the problem. Humility and submission is the solution. So when? Last question. When? When do we have to do that? It seems to be the idea that Christians don't have to submit if they don't like it. They don't agree with it. That's not the nature of submission. We're given the commands because we don't like it. I'll submit if I agree, if I think it makes sense, if I've read an article that says that makes sense, if a Republican told me to do it. What if your child submitted like that? You're not impressing anyone when you submit it to what you want to do. So the question we're really asking is when do I not have to? Where's the loophole? Where's the line? And we're asking where the line is, not because we want to go above and beyond the line, the extra mile, it's because we want to flirt with the line. When you give a sermon like this, you can anticipate the yeah buts afterwards, right? Yeah, but. You want to know where the yeah but is? Romans 13. Good and evil. Paul knows there's in, in, injustices, miscarriages of justice. I mean, my goodness, Jesus died. Paul and Peter died at the hands of this government, so it can't be an absolute statement to submit. It's contingent upon whether the submission involves me in committing evil. And human institutions do not determine moral law. God does. And so we have numerous examples. Here's everybody's favorite part of a submission sermon. Here's the numerous examples of civil disobedience. Exodus 1, murder your children. Hebrews resist, midwives resisted that. Multiple examples in the book of Daniel alone. Eat this food that violated clear dietary restrictions of God's law. Worship this statute. These were clear violations of God's law. Not judgment, not a lie. And notice how they resisted. Daniel went quietly. Not, you know who I am. You know who my God is. He went quietly and he requested, please, we can't do this. Watch us. 
as we eat our food, see what happens. You can't pray, what did Daniel do? He didn't start doing something he had to do. That's what's amazing to me when people feel like they're righteous, right? all of a sudden they're doing things they've never done before. People are way more religious all of a sudden. Wonder what our motive is. Daniel was Daniel. Morning, noon, night. Nothing seems to motivate us more than being told we can't do something, right? I've thought about that for years. I've seen that in my life, my children's life. You know, eventually they get to an age where you tell them don't touch that, don't do that. They sneak around because they don't want to get caught. You want to train them for conscience sake not to do it. But my daughter is currently at that stage where she wants you to see, right? I mean, it's like don't touch that. It's Nothing motivates us more than no. And maybe we need to be told, no, you can't evangelize. No, you can't put the interest of others above your own interest, so we'll start doing it. You want to know where the line is? The clear commands of God as revealed in His Word. You better not move that line where God's placed it. If you're going to play the trump card, you better be sure. And the ultimate line how is Jesus, living us an example, following Jesus, no sin, no deceit, no threats, no revival. People... Read our posts and hear our words and see our actions at work. In regards to the government, and they say, they remind me of Jesus. John 13, Jesus washed feet. Submission is one of the best ways to resemble Jesus. We're not going to take it. You've got to fight for your right to party or not Christian anthems. Those are not songs we should be singing and living in the church of Christ. That's our anthem. That's the heart of the gospel, verse 24. Jesus submitted to God's authority. He submitted to inferior authority. His parents' authority, religious authority, brethren, civil authority, and all those levels of submission led him ultimately to the cross where he could have called 10,000 angels and he'd open his mouth. He did not resist. That's the heart of Christianity. That's the heart of the gospel. There'd be no salvation, no good news without that. Thank God he submitted better than we did. Thank God he did not selfishly demand his rights and privileges like we do. They made up God and others, not himself. Not my will, thy will be done. I came to submit and serve and wash feet. Is that where we're at? If not, we need to get there. We need to get there in a hurry. We're going to offer an invitation in a moment. If you need to get there, submit in baptism. That's what baptism, that's why people don't like it. You've got to submit and give yourself up. Maybe you're here as a Christian. You need to repent of your rebellion and your resistance to Authority, ordained by God, ultimately to God's authority. Humble yourself. Submit yourself. As we offer an invitation, I want to beg you. There's a tendency to make take tough sermons and do this, or this, or this, and look around. I would beg each of us to look in the mirror. Pray about this. Study this, and you'll be convicted, trust me, about how big of a deal this is. If our prayers and study are not convicting us, we have a heart problem. We have a pride problem. And let's not think, you know, sometimes I think, well, I was showing so was here, they need to hear that. I need to be here and hear this. It's me. Let's just all assume this morning regarding this subject, it's all of us. All of us, it's our attitude stinking up the room and contaminating and corrupting those around us. And if this is rubbing my fur the wrong way, if that rubs my fur the wrong way, I need to turn that cat around. If this is making me mad, and defensive, I need to ask why. If you need to submit, the Lord invites you to come as we stand and sing.